0: Lord Jesus we thank you that you reveal your glory in creation and yet without your word we cannot know that it is you and we cannot be saved and so we thank you for this record that tells us that you have made it and for your record that tells us that you will redeem it all and you will create a people for yourself and bring us eternally to be with you in your new creation. Lord, help us to look with your sight at your word and our lives. Lord, change and renew our minds. Help us to believe in the finished work of Jesus and to live in light of your rule and reign over all the earth as your stewards. Lord, please guide us in your truth and your word. I ask that you would help me by your spirit uh, to speak faithfully and true. And Lord, we pray that your word would bless us by cutting us to the heart by taking right into the division in the innermost parts of our being that we might believe. We pray that together in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going through a series in the book of Genesis. uh, In a way, we're looking at foundations for life. That is, uh, this is the first book of the Bible. And so it really does give a foundation for the rest of the Bible. And in many ways, it gives us a foundation for Christianity and what it means to believe. So it's very helpful for us to look at this book. We've been doing it over the past few weeks and we'll be doing it for the next few weeks as well as we lead up to Easter. This week we are looking at the topic of stewardship and creation care. As you'll notice in the text that we had read for us, God has given his people responsibility. We looked at what that means for work a few weeks ago, but now we look specifically on how humanity is to relate to the created world around us, and in particular, the flora and the fauna, the plants and the animals. This is a part of our theological understanding, so it's good for us to know, and I tell you it's extremely topical at the moment. Isn't it interesting as we're looking at the foundations in the Bible and every week we're seeing things that people are asking big questions of in the world at the moment. Now, uh, three, uh, al- almost three years ago in uh, 2020, uh, I was in December 2020, I thought it would be a good idea to go for a prayer walk uh, in the Onkaparinga Gorge. If you've been there, it's a beautiful place. And so I went for a walk through the gorge. It, was, it wasn't a particularly warm uh, morning at the time, but it began to heat up. And it's a very interesting place because as you descend down into the gorge, your phone reception disappears. And I thought that's a good place to pray. Just as a side note, when you don't have phone reception, it helps prayer. <laughs> okay? So I went down uh, into this gorge and I began to grow increasingly uncomfortable because the heat was increasing and there, the reeds and the grasses were moving too much for my liking. So I'm sort of ambling along the path and I begin to feel like there are snakes amongst me. I just begin to feel it. So I, being conscientious of being bitten by a snake when I have no phone reception, as I'm sure you might be, I had, gra- grabbed a stick and put the stick in front of me. I thought, no, I'm going to finish this walk. I'm here to pray. Walking along with my stick, just banging in front of me, just in case a snake happens to be there, but had this increasing foreboding dread sitting upon me thinking, I am going to get bitten by a snake and no one will come to save me. And so I'm going oh, I have to get out, of course, on my own, and then you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to sit down and wait for help and then, uh, of course, no one would come in, in my imagination, and so I would die there on the spot. So I'm walking along with my stick, and just for a moment, lost concentration, my foot comes down on something reptilian. I feel it and strike my shoe, and I almost have a heart attack on the spot. And yes, my shoe was bitten by a brown snake as I happened to just lose my concentration for just a minute. So there I am, taking off my shoe, trying to work out if it had penetrated my runners, not ideal footwear, and gotten to my uh, big toe and actually struck me. I figured, had a good look, inspected my shoe. I was sort of, I was, and I was in this beautiful place in my prayer, actually, as I was sort of worrying about snakes and thinking about God's protection over me and thinking about all the Bible verses that relate to this. And and almost in a place of worship too, because I'm looking around and thinking, gee, this is beautiful. That's why I go there, actually, because it is a beautiful place. And I can see why people sometimes think that they might worship creation, even though I was worshiping the Creator, because of how beautiful it is. But then after I was struck by the snake, I wasn't worshiping anymore. I can tell you, I didn't curse verbally, but I was feeling the sense of curse of creation because creation came out and bit me, literally. Thankfully, no snake bite, just struck the shoe. So I was bitten by a snake, technically, and not technically as well. So it depends on how you tell the story, really. Made it out, warned everyone on my exit of uh, the dangers of snakes down the bottom, to which people just paid no attention, didn't care. So maybe they got bitten by snakes, who knows? And made my way out. And it turns out to be a good story that I tell from time to time. But I want to point out to you relationship toward creation. Right? And, and the thing that um, interested me was the pull of my heart to worship. The pull of my heart to see beauty unadulterated by phone reception. And I could just enjoy it for what it is. I could enjoy it and be thankful for what God had done. Worship. And then on the other side, I was struck by it and felt a sense of the curse that comes with creation too. And that is often the spectrum that we sit in in society. Somewhere between worship, either of creation or perhaps of a creator, and curse. But here in our text, we get a third view. A view of cultivation a view of things in right order, a view where God has made the world and everything in it, and he's handed it over to humanity as stewards, people to take care of it, to take care of the flora and fauna, to develop this world, to make it usable, to develop agriculture, to develop livestock, etc., develop national parks, to, to live in harmony with nature. Notice in the text it tells us, It's it says... And it was so, at the end of verse 30, telling us that God had said everything right, and that's how it was. And then God, in verse 31, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Not just good, as we've seen so far in the text, but very good. When things are in harmony, that is, when relationship between God, man, and creation is in harmony, God declares it Very good. We should appreciate it for what it is, but that has been broken. And so we have these three positions, really. This, uh, this position of either worship, sort of lifting up creation too high. This other position on a spectrum, maybe of curse. We feel it and we, we would like to crush creation, actually, like I would like to crush that snake that struck me. Or perhaps we would follow God's instructions and cultivate it. So this morning, let us look together, firstly, at the calling to cultivate, the calling to cultivate. Now, I want to start down the curse end of the spectrum, the curse end. Historically, human beings have had a fraught relationship with culture. Sometimes we've sought to lift it up too too high, lift up creation too high, and almost worship things and create idols out of wood, stone, gold, and silver. But oftentimes we've seen creation as an enemy, an enemy to crush. There was an old saying, actually I don't know where the saying is from, but it's very well known. The saying goes, if it moves, kill it. If it doesn't, cut it down. This is the idea of sometimes pioneer settlement which takes no regard for the goodness of creation and its worthiness to be looked after. Just pure destruction and for the use of, an abuse of humanity to our own ends. It's an extremely selfish way to look at it. But you can understand why. Because often people who have been devastated by floods, devastated by bushfires, which we get both of in Australia, or perhaps extreme cold in other places in the world, you can see why people feel like creation is against them. There's a sense of curse. In the... uh, This is well reflected in our culture, by the way. This is well reflected in our imagination and creativity. In the movie Terminator 2, uh, it's set um, in the mid-90s, but there have been some robots which have come back from the year 2029, which isn't too far away, by the way, uh, have come back from the year 2029 to... uh, One of them has come to prevent a global disaster where... Humans abuse their responsibility and hand it over to robots, which then take over the world, and the robots then subjugate humanity into their slaves. And so there's this global battle going on in 2029, six years to go, people. And this global battle going on in 2029, and so they go back into the past in order to solve the problem. Now, this speaks of a very interesting and very common. Uh, imaginative idea in our culture that if we don't look after creation, it will destroy us. We have a very interesting relationship to it. We can treat it badly and abuse it, but we've, just, we've come to the realization that if we keep doing it, it will bite back. Our things that we create out of this world, you know, like robots or artificial intelligence or whatever you want to come up with, will somehow bite us back. You know, this has happened in other movies like uh, 2012 and numerous other movies which have moved in a trajectory of apocalyptic climate change now, that if we don't look after the climate, it will destroy us. So there is this sense, which is understandable, that creation is almost a curse. On the other side of the spectrum, many people turn and look at the beauty which is evident for all to see and turn to worship. We had this idea of Mother Nature, or, which I hear very commonly, the universe. Or if you are someone who likes to take your ideas from the East, Gaia. This is the idea when beauty leads to worship. Now this, from a biblical perspective, is lifting up creation too high, but in some ways you can see why people do it. You can see why people have an idea that there's a providence out there, an impersonal God who, for some reason, is connected to creation and is somehow working it together for its own ends. And if we obey the laws of creation, we'll be looked after, but if we don't, we won't. There's an idea of cosmic karma that's associated with this, and this is a very common belief system in the East. Now, there is a big problem with this, is that if you worship creation, it will crush you. In 2004, there was a tsunami that killed 250,000 people in Southeast Asia. 250,000 people on Boxing Day 2004. How can you look at creation and not see a curse in there? We just had these devastating earthquakes uh, in Syria just recently. Again, how can you look at the created world and not see a curse there? We try, we put out crops where we try and cultivate the world and they don't grow. You know, farmers know this well. We try and then there's floods. We try and then there's bushfires. We get a bit of everything in Australia. We feel that there is a curse. And yet we still seem to talk about creation in worshipful terms we think that there's a cosmic karma going on for some of us that we are getting what we deserve but if you really think about it if you really worship creation you will look deeply at at your own suffering the suffering of the world and the meaninglessness will crush you some people uh, believe in reincarnation that is depending on how you live morally etc will de- depend what you come back in as in the next life. So if you live a bad moral life, you'll come back as a flea. If you live a good moral life, you'll come back in a sort of higher status in society. Unfortunately, this very belief system is used to crush and oppress the weak in different places in the world. This belief system keeps inequality in its place. It keeps the poor, poor, and the rich, rich, because they say it's karma. They say it's karma now, in the West, we, many of us don't believe, some of us do, of course, believe in karma, but many of us believe in science, capital S, science. And we use the terminology we believe in science. So we appreciate the natural world, and yet we think there's nobody behind it. The problem with that is that your moral views are based upon survival of the fittest. That is, might is right, because that's what you see in nature. The strong eats the weak. The strong oppresses the weak. And so if that's what you really believe, that everything we have is just a result of survival of the fittest or evolution, there is no basis for morality and justice in the world. In fact, life is meaningless. There is no reason to worship the world around us. You might as well be as selfish as you possibly can for the short time that you have. So I've looked at a spectrum. On the one end, there's the curse. On the other end, there is worship, which is very problematic when it comes to creation. But God in the Bible calls us to cultivate. Cultivation is when God is the supreme ruler and we under him look after, steward, and care for the world that he has given us. Cultivation is only when God is on the throne and we are his stewards. Verse 28 tells us that we are to subdue, that is, develop the flora of the land, agriculture, mining, whatever we use creation for, and, of course, everything, all the material things that we have come out of this uh, created world around us, we are to use it for the development of culture and work in our society. It's good to do that. Furthermore, in uh, the next couple of verses, Verses 28 and 29, it tells us to look after the fauna of the world, the, the animal life, the fish, the birds, and the land-based animals. We have responsibility towards them. God has made this abundantly clear. We are neither to see it as a curse nor to worship creation. We are to look after it and worship our Creator. So there is a calling explicit from God in the Bible that creation is for humanity to look after. But it needs to be in its proper place. Not too low to be stepped on and crushed and not too high to be worshipped. And in fact, when creation is in its proper place, it should lead to worship. Listen to this from Romans chapter 1. It says... For what has been known about God is plain to them, that is, the unbelieving world, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. That is, God's creative power, his divine and invisible attributes are obvious because of the created world. It should be lead humanity to worship and to praise God for who he is. And in the Bible, you actually see that. You see the heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 19, the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The psalmist looks at creation and praises the creator. That is a right and good response to creation, to things that are in good harmony with one another. If you can't see The stars in the sky or the moon in the sky because of smog over your city, you cannot worship in that way. Makes sense. Similarly, in uh, Psalm 148, we see all the aspects of creation in in the cosmic realm, the sun, the moon and the stars, worship God. Everything in the heavenlies worships God and praises Him and so ought we. Even in Luke chapter 19, when Jesus is on his way into Jerusalem, people are throwing down their cloaks onto the ground so that Jesus might walk in them on his triumphant entry into his city in his creation. People are worshipping Jesus and saying, Hosanna in the highest. Praise be to God. The religious elite get upset that they are doing this and Jesus says to them, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I tell you, creation is there not for its own ends, but to point us to the creator. That is a good and right end result of us looking, out, looking at and caring for this world. So there's a calling to cultivate and to worship God. However, cultivation is, requires a redeemer. Whatever end of that spectrum you're at, whether you feel the curse of creation and places in the world today, they they feel the curse, whether by drought and hunger and starvation and famine, whether by earthquake, whether by flood and the east coasts, of the world, And for much of human history, we have not been able to avoid natural disaster or things not working out as we try and cultivate the world. We feel the curse. And much of the world has lifted up creation too high. They've put it in a place of worship. They've used it as a system to oppress the poor and to, to, to tread on people and say, well, that's just karma when I'm in a good position and you are in a bad position in society. How do we escape? How do we make a better uh, way of this world? How do we look after it? Get things in their right context. Cultivation of this world requires a redeemer. In the uh, early 1990s, uh, a cartoon series came out called Captain Planet. It was ahead of its time, as it turns out. Uh, in the intro- introductory um, uh, narration, it goes like this: Our world is in peril. Gaia, the spirit of the earth, can no longer stand the terrible destruction plaguing our planet. She sends five magic rings to five special young people, Kwame from Africa with the power of earth, from North America, Wheeler with the power of fire, from the Soviet Union, Linka with the power of wind, from Asia, Guy, with the power of water, and from South America, Marti with the power of heart. And so these five heroes battle the eco-villains who are set on destroying the planet through their pollu- pollutive ideas. Hoggish, greedily, leads part of the eco-villains combining greed and pollution to form this evil uh, combination. Verminous, scum, part human, part rat, intent on harm through weapons and drug sales. And my favourite, Duke Nukem, nuclear power and its evils, And lastly, loot and plunder and deforestation. So see, there's this epic battle that's brought up. However, when evil gets too much and they need a hero, the five rings combine their powers to form Captain Planet. Now, Captain Planet turns up in every episode, of course, because it's called Captain Planet. But every now and then, a crisis comes up where Captain Planet needs to step in in a particular way. He needs to step up and really give himself to the task of saving the world and humanity. In the episode Greenhouse Planet, Captain Planet uh, is forced to become almost human because there's a problem with the magic rings. He is sent to Earth on his own with all of his main superpowers limited except the power of heart, which leaves him with courage. When their enemy tries to spray them, With toxic waste, that is the planeteers, from one of the supervillains, they go to spray them with toxic waste and kill them off so they can destroy the planet. Captain Planet himself, in a move of daring self-sacrifice and love, jumps in front of the toxic waste and takes it on himself. He narrowly avoids death but manages to save the planeteers and the whole earth with his self-sacrifice. Now, apart from uh, the uh, Eastern religion, which is sort of forming its way into uh, Western culture uh, in the early 90s, which is fascinating to look back 30-something years ago and to see that that was happening. But notice that humanity cannot come up with a better storyline than a hero becoming human and laying down his life for people and the world. We cannot beat it. I've looked. I've looked everywhere. I've looked in literature. I've looked in movies, cartoons, music. The best storyline that we can come up is that one. And it does not come out of survival of the fittest. It does not come out of might is right and the rich oppress the poor and the strong oppress the weak. It doesn't come out of the natural world. It comes from above. This storyline came into the world 2,000 years ago. And there were hints of it throughout the Bible beforehand of someone laying down their life for the sake of the other. Captain Planet tells us that we need a Redeemer to save the earth and humanity within. Now, throughout the Bible, this idea of uh, looking after the world and cultivating it and the need of a Redeemer has been developed. So Israel, their role was to look after creation as they came into the land. Remember, as you go through the biblical storyline, God created a people for himself out of Abraham, one man. Then it formed into a nation in the land of Egypt. They were delivered out of Egypt through the great exodus, through uh, following the presence of God, through the, the fire and the cloud, Into the wilderness and eventually ended up in the land of Canaan, which God had given to his people Israel. Their job was to look after the land, their job was to be God's people in God's place under his rule. The land was beautiful, it was a land flowing with milk and honey. They were to fulfill what God had set out for them in Genesis, cultivate the world. Develop agriculture, develop livestock, develop human culture. Make everything into a place of harmony. And yet, what happened? The land of milk and honey wasn't stewarded well. It was abused by God's people. They didn't rest the land as they ought to. And God gave them uh, good farming practices where they were to rest the land regularly. They weren't to mix crops in the wrong way, again, to get the best Produce from the land. They were to take the um, ripened fruit on just the right year so that the plants would establish properly. God gave them particular rules to govern their care of the land and Israel did not do it. They were supposed to be a witness to the nations through the way that they were in harmony. God, humanity, creation. And they did not do it. God even stepped in They said he gave the land its Sabbath rest for 70 years when a foreign nation came and conquered Israel and took a large portion of the people into exile in Babylon. This actually tells us that the core issue at the heart of a lack of care for creation or of lifting up creation too high and worshipping it, which is very challenging to do when you really think about it, the issue at the heart is, is sin against God. The issue at the heart is that we have not worshipped God rightly. And when we don't worship God rightly, we have a wrong relationship with his creation. In the Old Testament, they called it idolatry. The idea is that you would worship the creature rather than the creator, that you would make gods out of The created world, you know, like you'd form a god out of a tree, you'd put it up on a pedestal and you'd worship it. And the prophet Isaiah laughs at how ridiculous that is. On the one hand, the the prophet Isaiah says that, you know, you'll make a fire to cook your dinner on with the wood and then you'll carve an idol out of the wood and you'll worship it and, and even give it offerings so that you'll have a good life, that you'll be blessed. We are not to idolise and to lift up creation too high, nor to crush it under our feet. The idea of worship of creation, or Gaia, or the universe, or having a sense of karma, at its root, it is actually not acknowledging that there is a creator who is personal and the creation is there not for us to worship, but to point us to the maker of it for him that we would worship. So we need a redeemer. We need someone who, like our mythology, like our creativity, like our literature, like our movies, like our cartoons, points out that there might be someone who would set things right through a level of self-sacrifice that is unmatched. And that's what Jesus did. The New Testament tells us that Jesus brought the curse in the world, which came through sin in Genesis chapter 3. He brought the curse Upon himself, The Bible tells us that cursed is everyone that hangs on a tree. You know, a tree is a fundamental part of God's created world, which God said that we are to look after and cultivate and care for. And Jesus was hung on a tree. Jesus would bear the weight of sin against God, the root issue for why we don't have a good relationship and harmony with creation. He would be hung on a piece of wood with nails formed from iron that was fashioned out of ore that was taken from the ground that we were supposed to cultivate. Can you see that Jesus is bearing on his own body the curse on humanity and the curse on creation on the cross? He's making things right. He's doing it through self-sacrifice. He's doing it by saying, rather than you face a meaningless world where there is destruction if you try and worship it or you try and crush it and it crushes you, that he will take the curse on himself. That is the God that we worship in Jesus Christ. That is what Jesus on the cross was doing. And yet he opens the door through that cross. When Jesus rises from the dead and there is a stone tomb open, empty, because he is alive, we see that there is a door open to a right relationship with creation. Jesus is opening a door that we, as humanity, can have right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ and repentance and right relationship with the created world around us. In the movie um, Terminator 2, which I love by the way, it is fascinating how at the end of the movie, two Terminators face off. The T-1000, who has stronger superpowers than the T-800, who is Arnie, who again, very much appreciate. And they face off in this grand battle Human beings are sort of put to the side as these two Terminators fight one another and the T-800, which is the lower quality Terminator, defeats the T-1000 by it falling into a molten, a pit of molten steel. And yet the T-800 Terminator knows the only way to save humanity from getting the chip that is inside his brain and having a destructive world ruled by robots, is for him to sacrifice himself for the sake of humanity. It's everywhere. This theme, this storyline is everywhere. It's everywhere because as we look at the world, the created world, we realise there's no hope unless someone steps in and does something that is counter to nature. That The strong would die for the weak. You know, survival of the fittest is all about might is right. And human beings have run the world like that for a very long time. We've abused creation for a very long time. And sometimes, you know, it's reasonable. But in Jesus, we see the fittest dying for the weakest. It's the reverse. In Jesus, we see the one who is strongest lays down his life for the weak. The Bible tells us whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The only one who can restore our right relationship to the created world that we might steward it has to come from outside of us. And he is the God-man, Jesus Christ. This is what God has called us to do. There is more to the story, though. Romans 8, verse 20 tells us this. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the plains of childbirth until now." What is the Apostle Paul saying? All of creation is groaning because things are not right. Because the relationship between God, humanity and creation is broken because of sin. And yet they're groaning in hope because Jesus has come. He's opened the door. How does it say it will be reconciled? It says... In this, when the freedom and the glory of the children of God comes. That is, when humanity is reconciled to God fully, when Jesus returns, then the relationship between humanity and creation will be restored. Jesus will lift the curse. It will be done. There is a future time. The Bible has a whole lot to tell us about a new creation, a coming kingdom where everything is set right, where God rules on the throne, everything is in harmony, God's people rule with him, and it is a garden city. The Christian vision for creation is that there is an end coming. There is another snake in the Garden of Eden, chapter 3. The snake led to a curse. The snake was the embodiment of evil. It was the tempter speaking to Eve, saying, eat this fruit, misuse creation, even though God told you not to, disobey him because then you'll get what you really want. Serve, see see what he's saying? Serve yourself and then you'll get what you really want. Don't trust God. Don't trust his word, then you'll get what you really want. And so this snake tempts Eve And she gives in. As does Adam, he doesn't take up his responsibility. He should have faced the snake, but he didn't. And yet in that story, in Genesis chapter 3, we are told that the seed of Eve, someone will come who will crush the snake, and yet it will bruise his heel. This is what we see in Jesus. He has come to crush the curse upon the world. And yet it will come at great cost. And yet there is a glorious end coming. Because as he did that, the, the resolution of the Garden of Eden and the snake coming was Jesus on the cross. Himself being crushed under creation. And yet, in that same master stroke would Jesus win redemption for everybody. He is incredible. No one could come up with this outside of Christianity, and yet this storyline is threaded throughout our mythology. This means that we ought to anticipate, as our responsibility now, a coming kingdom. We ought anticipate a garden city where everything is cultivated, everything is complete. That's what Revelation, the last book in the Bible, tells us. We've gone from the beginning of the book to the end of the book. with a bit in between. The last book of the Bible tells us there is a garden city where God is in the middle and everything is set right. All the relationships are in order. That is what we look forward to. It is not a place on the clouds. It is a real, concrete, physical reality God is. And his people and a a creation around him, creatures, plants, the earth, fused together in a new heavens and a new earth where all things are set right. And so when this happens, when this happens, we will experience things as they ought to have been. And so with our sights set there, we ought... Pray for it. We all pray, as Revelation tells us, come Lord Jesus, because we recognise that things aren't right. We should ask him to hasten. That's a good thing to do when we see things out of order in our created world, when we're concerned about climate change or whatever. We should say, come Lord Jesus. However, we also must not think that we human beings have this abundant authority that we can destroy the world. Because we can't. Who has the authority to do that? Only God has the authority to renew the world, to cleanse it with fire. And so when it comes to anxiety about climate change, and actually the stats are really high. 75% of people in Australia at the last federal election were worried about climate change. We're worried about the state of the created world. And yet much of that fear comes out of a place of not acknowledging that that is God's ultimate responsibility. Only he has the authority to rule over the creator. Well, yes, we are under stewards. Yes, we have responsibility, but we cannot destroy it. So we should not have an extreme level of fear. And yet, Jesus taught many parables about stewardship, He taught parables about us taking care of things whilst he's away, preparing for his return. And the judgment will come on who? Those that don't look after it well. Those that abuse the land. They don't take into account the creator. They abuse one another. So perhaps it is not just that we ought not be fearful, but we ought to fear God. Because Jesus is coming back to take what is his, The created world is ultimately his. Jesus is the one in Genesis chapter 1 that says, you shall take care of it. I have given these things to you. I have given them every green plant for food. And God saw that it was very good. This same Jesus is coming back to claim what is his. And so we are neither to be fearful that we might destroy it entirely by ourselves, but we ought fear God who will come and bring judgment upon those that do not recognize him as Lord. This is important. This is important because in our culture today, there's much fear around these things. So intellectually, if you are a Christian person today, let me say to you, get this in right order. God is on the throne. Whilst we have responsibility around climate, I can tell you of many ecological disasters that could have been avoided in my research this week had we acknowledged God's rule and reign over us, we must have things in their right place that God himself is on the throne. And that means politically, I'm going to tell you how to vote now, are you okay with that? That means politically we do not place creation above people. Jesus came to save sinners, not snails. Okay? What that means is is that God has a created order. Yes, creation is important, but people are more important. Jesus died on a cross. Yes, he will renew the world, but who was on his mind? You and I. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The, The creation around us is amoral. It's neither, you know, it it doesn't have a a, a moral uh, purpose to it other than God declaring it good and having the curse upon it now. Jesus himself will be the one to restore it. Lastly, there is this great temptation today to do what's been, uh, I think, helpfully, the term helpfully coined, virtue signal. That is, when we look at, uh, when we think about, you know, caring for the climate or recycling, or having a car that has low carbon emissions, or not burning our rubbish in the incinerator anymore, whatever it is, we often do things so that others will look on us and and give us kudos. Jesus said, Do not do your good works before men, for therein you find your reward. If you do things to serve God, by taking care of the created world around you. That is maybe vocationally you stand up for sustainable practices or perhaps, you know, you do do your recycling. Or perhaps you do buy a car with, you know, lower fuel emissions. If you do it and advertise it to everybody, you're doing it for the praise of man. It's actually not worship at all. That's for your own worship. Jesus came to serve And so that should be our role. We are servants under him. We are stewards of the created world around us. Yes, we have great responsibility, but we see ourselves as under him. Yes, you have a responsibility in your workplace to care about sustainability. Yes, you have a responsibility in your home to care about sustainability. Yes, you have a responsibility intellectually and politically to decide and to think about things from a biblical perspective. Yes, you do. All of those things are very important. But unless we realise that Jesus himself has come to do this, unless we realise that our good works don't get, your recycling doesn't get you into heaven. Unfortunately, many people think that. I'm not kidding. They think if we do good works, whatever they look like in your society and culture, and if that is today, caring for the environment, we think that if I do enough good that God might accept me. I tell you then, why was Jesus put on a cross? Why was he nailed to his own creation? Because we couldn't do it. We always were left with a curse or worship. But Jesus came that he alone would restore all things unto himself. He came alone that he would restore the relationship between humanity, God, and creation into its proper place. So let us pray. Let us look forward to that great day. Let us live in light of these things. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you that we live in light of your your first coming and we live in light of your second coming. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you bore the curse for us on the tree. We thank you that you are coming again to make all things right. Lord Jesus, help us. Help us to live in light of your return. Help us to think about these things in light of your word, to get our lives right, to not be consumed by fear, but fear you rightly as a good father, as a loving God. Help us, we pray. Shape us to be your witnesses as we ought to be in these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please feel welcome to stand as we respond to the word in worship.